0: When you started working, at what point did it become obvious that you were walking into a political arena?
1: That's
2: an, that's an interesting yeah. question. I a mean, political arena sounds I, terrifying. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Leap. I'm Tina Selig. I'm passionate about helping people craft the futures they dream of creating. And that's what I do at Stanford University, where I teach classes on creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship. This podcast takes a deep dive into how to launch your career by unpacking the often overlooked and undertaught soft skills critical to the success of every entrepreneur. In each episode, we'll invite two people from very different career stages to discuss real life scenarios. Today, we focus on power and politics. What does the politics actually look like? I mean, how do you how do you measure it? How do you note it? How do you feel it?
1: I didn't know a lot about the corporate world. There are tiers of management, there are geographies around the world, there are different business units, there are limited budgets <laughs> and constraints and who gets the budget. That's Kit Rogers. He was in the founding class of the Mayfield
0: Fellows program at Stanford and was an early employee at Cryptography Research Kit's introducing us to one of the first lessons of the work world. There's always a game, and most of us aren't taught the rules.
1: I think I think a lot of companies have limited resources and have to debate what to invest but in. But aren't
0: there always limited resources, right? I mean, whether it's <laughs> Not time. Not at Facebook, are
2: there? I, mean, I, I don't, don't know. know. So <laughs> let's
0: hear it. Facebook, are there limited resources? It's well, <laughs> like even just time. What are you going to put your effort into?
2: Right. I mean, I think, sure, in a perfect world, there would always be sort of like an exact amount of resources that you have to divide up. But what really ends up happening is, you know, different people have priorities and have known each other for a long time or, you know, go way back to the startup out of Stanford.
0: That's Lauren Isford. She, too, was a Mayfield Fellow at Stanford, and she graduated only a couple of years ago. She's now working at Facebook after spending some time working at Blue Bottle Coffee. Lauren's figured out that there's a social fabric that underscores everything that happens at work the relationships within an organization have just as much impact on the success of a project as the idea and the execution plan.
2: Who you know, who you trust, who you resonate with, who understands your priorities, I think, can play a really big role in how decisions get made in the workplace. So
0: how do you deal um, with it? I mean, does that mean you go around trying to build all these relationships and alliances?
2: Oh, um, gosh. I mean, you, I mean, you asked before, like, how do you play the game? And I think I think the best answer is that you shouldn't. Like, you shouldn't play a game and you should try to define what you need to do in a way that avoids having to do this, like having to strategize, having to, you know. Do you think you can
0: avoid the game? Can you avoid
2: it? No. Can you try? Yes.
0: That's an interesting point. I respect Lauren's goal of rising above politics, but can you really do that? Can you avoid the power game at work? And are games such a bad thing? If you look at work as a game, then you begin seeing what motivates your colleagues and start seeing the levers you have to influence others. Think about team sports to understand how games really work. One, no matter what your position, everyone has a role to play and something to contribute. And two, only by collaborating and working in sync did the entire team win.
2: Having like the the discipline or patience or foresight to think about what's best for the group is something that you don't get to practice very much when you're, you know, when you have two semesters or three semesters every single year Um, and you're in different classes and you're with different people. And so I feel like playing water polo, playing soccer, even being on the swim team just totally changed what It it changed the way that I think about everything that I do. I mean, I like sometimes when I'm stressed out, when I'm feeling overwhelmed with work and I go, you know, kick around a soccer ball with some friends or play tennis with some friends, I feel like sports reminds me of what it means to be competitive, what it means to be collaborative.
1: You know, football is a good example of, of a place where there are definitely stars on a team and people who stick out more. But you have to play your position and uh, perform your role and do your job. I mean, that's the, the phrase we would always use. Everybody's got to do their job, and if you do that, you can have a successful result as a group. You know, you might be a decoy on a play and have nothing to do with where the real action is taking place, and that's actually a crucial role. There were a lot of recruits that came in, and, and that creates an interesting dynamic because those folks were stars at the high schools that they were at before they came to college. And they're not all going to be stars again once they get here. And that's an interesting sifting process to find out who's going to rise to the top through that. And a lot of the techniques, I think, that coaches use are breaking teams down, making them go through hardship, sort of letting them figure out who emerges as leaders in the group and that type of thing. But there are definitely folks that came in from very different perceptions where they expected a certain amount of playing time or... Who knows what it was. You can get really small stuff about what number you are, where your locker's located, or (laughs) kind of crazy stuff like that. And, and, you know, tying that back to the real world and life, I mean, that happens too, right? Who gets the corner office? Who gets the, you know, suite location in the office?
0: Working with others is hard work, and the benefits are great when the team becomes a well-oiled machine. Teams provide structure, rules, and roles that remind us that the whole can be much larger than the sum of the parts. Just like a band or an orchestra, you need to learn how to harmonize. Each individual does their part, and together they make beautiful music. There are times when all the instruments blend together, and times when one person stands out with a solo performance. However, sometimes there's a tension here, when someone stands out who wasn't expected to do so. I was in a situation a number of years ago where I was getting a lot of attention for the work I was doing. Uh, The things I was doing were um, very visible to the world and people colleagues of mine who didn't see me as someone who should be in a position where I got a lot of attention were not particularly happy about it and there was a lot of political backlash about what my role was what my was should be doing and it was really complicated for me to figure out how to navigate that because i didn't want to back off because I was enjoying and appreciating the success I was having. On the other hand, you know, some of my colleagues were not particularly delighted. It took a lot of effort for me to figure out how to how to navigate that very complicated situation. Have you been in a situation like that where you are getting a lot of recognition or you're a rising star or something's happening for you that isn't
1: happening for others. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been a part of that and unintentionally and unwittingly in many cases. Right. I mean, it's, uh, even now in my current position, the majority of the team that works for me is older than me, Mm -hmm. um, has more experience by definition. Many of the people that are on my team have worked in that domain for, many years and are real experts in something like payments or something like ticketing or cryptography or whatever it is. And so it's kind of awkward. I mean, there are, I have three former CEOs that work for me now, technically. It's how you treat them that makes it either okay or not and enabling them to shine when possible and not taking credit for it, making sure they get to present, you know, either to the board or at a big meeting or something like that and really being facilitator when the people can do that job. It's also interesting to consider the flip side. How do you respond when you aren't getting the
0: solo role, especially when you want it and you think that you deserve it?
2: I've watched colleagues and peers and friends go for something and get passed up for someone else or try to get that promotion, and it went to someone who was newer on the team. And I think what I've seen work well to manage that stress and to manage how it feels when something doesn't necessarily work out the way that you want it to, is just to really advocate to your manager and to your teammates what is motivating for you and what's important for you. Um, So something that I've shared with my manager at Facebook explicitly is that managing people is a really high priority for me. And so whatever I can do to manage people in my time there, I want to get there. And I'm very explicit about that. And so you know, if I keep producing, I keep doing good work, I keep working hard and supporting my team, then everybody knows that that's the place that I want to go to. And I think that helps manage some of the stress and the insecurity and the disappointment when lots of politics are happening because you have, you know, your eyes on the prize. You know what's important to you and you have somebody who's helping you hold yourself accountable to that.
0: A lot comes down to your internal confidence but it needs to be played thoughtfully. Sometimes you need to stand up for yourself and ask for what you want. And sometimes it means that you step back and let other people shine. When I started at Stanford, I was in a very junior role, but I set a bold and crazy intention of becoming a professor someday. It took 13 long years, but by making that goal explicit, sharing it with my close colleagues, and volunteering for every opportunity that would get me closer to that goal, it finally happened. You know, Kit, listen, you're very confident. Do you think that, that confidence plays a significant role in politics? That the more confident you are, the less political tensions you feel because you separate yourself from it? Is it, is it that when you're insecure, the politics seems thicker?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, there's no question that that's the case. I mean, and, and I, w- I would say that the two attributes to me that are interesting are confidence and not, and a lot of people have bravado and that is not the same thing at all. In fact, they're almost an inverse relationship. Sometimes the people that speak the loudest and are the most visible and that type of the things are the most um, tense and the least secure.
2: Something I think about a lot with respect to confidence, working in tech, being a feminist is what it means to be a woman in the room and how you can support women as a minority in the tech industry to have a voice and be more confident in the workplace. So rather than projecting self-confidence all the time and hoping that that will sort of change the norms, also recognizing when it's harder for someone else to be confident and doing what you can to extend the olive branch and bring that person up
0: Yeah, I'm curious whether the political rules of the game feel very different for women and men.
2: So Um, let me ask you, though,
0: as being a young woman in the room, do you act differently when you I mean, give us a story. Give us an example of your being in the room and you're thinking, do I react differently in this political situation than my male colleague sitting next to me?
2: Yeah. um, A couple things that I've noticed about myself. One is that if I am in a meeting with a man, as I often am, because I don't work with that many women, I will sometimes sit or stand in a way that is similar to the way that the person I'm meeting with is also sitting or standing. So it could be leaning back in my chair or standing up in sort of a more direct stance or leaning against the wall. This is very subtle. It has no direct implications on work, but I've noticed that I do this and I think it's because when you're res- trying to resonate with someone and have a productive discussion, you sort of adapt and find common ground, and this is like a very subtle manifestation of that.
1: That's that's um, interesting, though. But do you think you wouldn't do that if it were only other women in the room,
2: or do you think a man wouldn't do it too? Like, does think, that have
1: anything to do with it being?
2: I think the impetus for the change is huh. is a level of discomfort, rather or or a a lack of confidence or a feeling of insecurity. Something. You know, again, I don't really want to generalize too much, but I think I am thinking about what it means to, like, you know, not be able to play basketball with the boys, or not want to have a beer after work, or not want to, you know, go watch the soccer championship. I just don't. And all of those things happened in the past couple of weeks, the past couple of months. It happened all the time, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, if there's if there's eight guys and two girls in a room, and the choice is to, you know, go play basketball or, you know, go talk about The Bachelor, which I happen to love, by the way, then, like, you know, we're probably going to watch basketball. And, and that's, that's what happens when there's eight men in the room. And so it's interesting, though, I
0: think about one of the assets, of course, that men have is often they're taller, bigger, stronger, yeah, physically, physically. <laughs> no. And, and so, you know, you walk into a room and somebody, you know, you can take the power pose, okay, uh, along with the guy, but you're still going to be smaller. than than they are. So it's an interesting thing, is that even though you might do the same thing, it might be perceived differently. I love the distinction that Lauren and Kit are making between confidence and bravado. There's a bright line between projecting confidence and coming off as arrogant. We're highly tuned to pay attention to tiny cues. And sometimes we don't even know what messages we're communicating by our very subtle behavior. There's all sorts of subtlety that people are looking at. I remember I had a situation in one of my early jobs where and we would have these meetings, and someone said to me, I had no idea that it was so evident that I was making eye contact and kind of smiling at different people in the room, you know, as if I'm looking at you, Lauren, and sort of like, like okay, we're together, okay, Kit, we're together. And the people who I was not making eye contact with felt left out. So mm-hmm. I, could, I could on the surface say, what? I didn't do anything, but I had built all my alliances by just using eye contact
2: the meeting, This is something that I think about uh, working on teams. I think it is so easy to assume that somebody who isn't making eye contact with you did it intentionally, for example. Um, or in reverse, for you to not make eye contact with someone and mean nothing by it. And so I actually try to find somebody who works closely with me on my team and have really open conversations about exactly this, about, hey, do you have any feedback for how I ran this meeting? Or, hey, do you think I should be balancing how I work with the team? Or what else can I be doing to you know, make sure everybody feels like we're moving forward together? And I find that's really helpful because sometimes you have a blind spot and you don't know. And it can create politics out of nothing. And if you don't know what's going on, you can't even fix it. Well,
1: where it and, really gets tough is if people have been working together for a while and they've built up perceptions about each other that come to the fore uh, in the conversation. It's like, well, that guy is always saying no yes, and yes. he's Absolutely. you know never yeah. Yeah. getting Absolutely. it. And, you know, and then you run into sort of deeper seated issues.
0: There are always alliances at work. It can't be avoided. But you can diffuse this by focusing on the ideas, the project and your goals. As opposed to getting mired in personal negotiations.
2: And something that I found helps me is when I, as an individual and also my team, have a deliverable, a specific goal to help the company, that we can benchmark our success against. So rather than like I just want to make my boss successful or like I just need to figure out what's going to make people happy like having a clearly defined well-scoped plan helps you sort of stay focused on the facts focused on what you need to achieve.
0: One of the things that happens when you come out of school and start your first job is you feel powerless. But actually, new graduates have a lot of power.
2: The coolest things about being new to any job is that you have a fresh perspective that nobody else has. So really owning that, sharing what you believe will be best for the customer, what will be best for the team or the organization, can often be really radically different from what everyone else is thinking because they've all been thinking the same way for such a long time.
0: When you're new to the workforce, you have a tremendous amount to offer. A fresh point of view is always valuable. But remember, you're entering an arena with lots of complex dynamics that can be very hard to navigate. Power and politics aren't necessarily bad, but you have to be aware of them. You have to learn how to harness these forces while building your own power through confidence, relationships, and setting intentions for what you really want to achieve. LEAP is about finding the agency to thrive in our lives and careers. Remember, we create more value when we work together. So please spread the word about LEAP and rate and review us on iTunes. LEAP is a Stanford eCorner original series. The videos, podcasts, and articles on Stanford eCorner are designed to help you find the courage and clarity to see and seize opportunities. Stanford eCorner is led by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Stanford's Department of Management Science and Engineering. LEAP is produced by Ali Rico and Rachel Dolkowski. Jake Smith and Stanford Video are our editor and audio engineers. Susie Allen is our writer. Daniel Stusi is our designer and digital products manager. And I'm Tina Seeley.
2: Thanks for listening.